0: gonna be a short intro intro section on my end because i really haven't watched much this week
1: same last weekend what was it veterans day uh labor, labor day labor day labor day labor day weekend that was the longest time i've ever gone without watching a movie in probably over a Damn, year look at you go how many
0: days is that it's four days i think nothing
1: <laughs> yes nothing Three or four days so i i felt like it was a desert of cinema. It was weird going up because uh, I was camping on the mountain and up there uh, the final day, I started
0: feeling weird. I'm like, he's having cinema withdrawal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was cinema withdrawal. It was a bit of an existential moment too of like, I do watch a lot of movies, don't I? <laughs> and I haven't been the past couple of days. Maybe I don't need to watch so many.
0: Maybe I don't need to watch any movies. And then I'd be like, and then I thought, well, what the fuck it's would true. I do with my time? It's true. Because I, you know, I say to myself, I, I don't watch nearly as many movies. I watch, my goal is at least three a week. Oftentimes I have around four to five, but I also, you know, I enjoy video games. Uh, I've been watching more TV as of late, more anime. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Not just Assassin's, Assassin's Creed, Full Metal Alchemist.
1: Oh, what else have you been watching? Uh,
0: there is, um... An anime adaptation of the Castlevania games. Oh, yes. Which I really enjoy. Yes, I, I'm familiar. The, the games are okay. They're really fucking hard. Um, but the general idea of the Castlevania anime series is that Dracula has a human wife who uh, gets outed as being Dracula's wife. So she's burned at the stake by the church and Dracula commences like an all-out war on humans and kills most of them with demons and vampires so the vampire hunter trevor belmont and dracula's son alucard which is dracula spelled backwards have to team up and kill dracula it's very brutal and gory especially for a western anime it's disgusting Hmm. like there's literally in the first episode literally a child gets ripped in half by a demon oh wow. (laughs) wow uh Trying to think of the bloodiest moments. I
1: mean, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood's pretty... It does. It's got its blood. It It is. Yes. Which is surprising. But it...
0: It's very cartoony yeah. and then suddenly just... Blood. It reminds me of um, the ending of Sanjuro. The the ending duel of Sanjuro. Oh, sure. Where, yeah. it, you know, it's a quick little moment. There's lots to, of blood splits. Yeah, stuff like that. The sound is very specific in Full Metal Alchemist.
1: Other anime I can think of is Psychopass That has some interesting blood work in it. There's a... Uh, they're, they're futuristic guns that literally just explode people into, into like piles of blood. Oh, God. Lovely. So, it, it's fun. Akira's bloody. That's a classic.
0: It is. Yeah. Disgusting.
1: Well, before we got on this call, you mentioned Mulan, yes. which just came out. Yes. Did you watch Mulan? Is this what you're trying to tell me? No, I'm, I'm feeling curious. I want to watch Mulan. Two reasons. One, I saw a clip and it looked god-awful.
0: It was the clip I sent you, wasn't it? Yeah. The one where she yeah, kicks with the all that editing. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the, the film makes no sense to me whatsoever. And I don't understand why Disney keeps messing up in the way that they are messing up. They, they want to learn lessons, but they learn all the wrong lessons. And I, th- there's got to be some smart people in there. Like, is this the best that, that that filmmaking by committee, corporation committee can do? I think do? they just don't care. But you'd have to be, at some
0: point, you are willfully making of just things worse. Maybe. But the thing is, the, the live-action remakes are interesting to me because they are, unlike other things like your Lord of the Rings, your your Star Wars things, they are huge franchises that everybody seems to dislike. Or at the very least be indifferent towards, and yet every time there's a new one, people see it. They make shit tons of money. The Lion King remake is one of the highest grossing movies of all time. That astounds me.
1: That is a film I never finished and never watched I
0: to. didn't even start. I haven't even finished one of the trailers.
1: I, I Say what you will, I've given the Disney remakes an honest try. The
0: only one I liked was The Jungle Book, because the original isn't even all that great.
1: I haven't seen that one yet. Me it's okay. too. Me too but i don't know it's just the ones that are bad they draw me into yeah. them because of because of what they are not uh, not necessarily cuz i know i know i'm not going to enjoy it but i'm just curious what what are they doing and with mulan it seems like you had the the trailer came out and it looks it, great the film looks good the trailer did look good the film just looks good it, they they got the setting and the cinematography right and the, the i'll give them that but all the important stuff, the stuff that isn't superficial and surface level. Yeah, appears to have been made. Worse well, that's the
0: thing about. Them. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about uh, comparing it to the old one is that, you know, a bunch of people were upset that Mushu wasn't in it. I never really cared about Mushu. I actually found him quite annoying. The original movie is not great. Um, I do. It has my favorite Disney the song. It's pretty good. It's OK. It's not bad. It's fine. You don't need it to be a masterpiece. No, it's just yeah, fun, exactly. Disney, uh, Um, yeah. But I do find this interesting that it's, it's no secret that a lot of uh, bigger budget films are catering to the Chinese audiences. And this one is just funny to me because not only is it very much catering to that audience, but also the more recent controversy is that it was filmed in a lot of provinces where... Chinese Muslims are in internment camps. <laughs> Disney, what are you? Do? See, <laughs> stuff like
1: this. Like, they say they're trying to do progressive and be sensitive about stuff, and then this shit yeah. comes up. Which, it, you'd have to be negligent at some yeah. point for some of this stuff to Th-
0: happen. There, are some, there was a point where I was interested, and I'm still interested in seeing the movie, but I'm not comfortable giving money... To a movie that was filmed on the province where <laughs> Muslims are being put in concentration camps. That-
1: <laughs> hey, hey, Disney, <laughs> no, one, no one at Disney is listening to this podcast. Oh, I know. But I, I just want to let you know, Disney, I'm not paying for Mulan. Oh, God, um, no.
0: I'm not against... I'm going to watch it, like, in the next week. I'm going to find it online. I'm the, not against places that you the do. more expensive price tag of a direct-to-streaming movie. I think King of Staten Island and Bill and Ted, a $20 price, that's appropriate. $30 is pushing it, though. Because even when I go to the movies... $30 is
1: nonsense. Yeah.
0: Nonsense. Even when I go to the movies, I don't spend $30.
1: Why would... I suppose you're paying for the right to see it now, which just seems like a big middle finger. Yeah. But, you know, a new Blu-ray costs $30. Bucks. like a new new 30 bucks for a new blu-ray is
0: expensive too
1: yeah like normally like when they first release marvel movies on blu-ray they're 30 bucks and they usually typically go down pretty quickly and are on sale for around 24 that's about average so if i can get a physical copy of something why are you charging me the same amount of money yeah for just digitally streaming it
0: because it, it, it only it's only works for 48 hours as well really I thought it was you could watch it until. Uh, Well, pretty much everything that I rent. Like, I I just watched The King of Staten Island a few days ago or a week or two ago. And that one was uh, you had 30 days to start it, but once you started it, you only had it for two days. Yeah, but I think Disney's a little different. Okay. That might be the. I don't know. I don't know, though. You know why? Because I don't care.
1: Anyway, they're not getting my money, but uh, I am curious. I want to watch it. The There's a really, 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 really great YouTube channel, Accented Cinema, which talks a lot about uh, Asian cinema, and he put out a video about Mulan, the new Mulan, just like a day or two yeah. ago. It's really good. I recommend it. I'll put a link in the show notes. But anyway, that video did, that video further did not inspire confidence yeah. in me about the film. Um, it just kind of confirmed some things that I thought. I mean, I saw Aladdin in theaters. Did you don't know really? why. Glad I did. I think it would have been a waste of my time if I had seen it at home, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I get it.
1: But in theaters, at least I got the experience. Even
0: a shitty movie, the the theater experience is still fun, even in a shitty movie. Aladdin was, ugh, I don't don't even want to get into that. Now, here's my question. Kind of off topic. Are you, theoretically, if a theater near you was showing Tenet, would you still go to see it? No, probably
1: not. And it's not necessarily because of health reasons. It's just because of uh,
0: comfortability. Yeah, I don't want to wear a mask for two and a half hours. I just don't want to
1: go out, really. Yeah. With that being said, the the loft in Tucson is offering uh, outdoor screenings. Okay. And I'm going to one next Which week. Which one? With some friends. We're going to see Jaws. Oh, so, okay. Something I've already seen this year. We talked <laughs> hey. about on the
0: podcast. Jaws is always fun. Link in the show notes. I I do just wanna say uh because of this whole uh pandemic thing, there have been a bunch of movies this year that have been obviously delayed. Um I do wanna I think it's kinda of funny. Uh September 2020 is the month that uh the new Ghostbusters <laughs> was supposed to come out. I just saw that the other day. I uh, there was like someone posted, Remember a
1: Ghostbusters film was supposed to come out? <laughs> like shit, there was. There was a trailer, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, there's
0: a lot of movies that you know, have obviously been forgotten, pushed back, whatever. The one I just want to lament for, because I feel like this one is not getting nearly as much uh, uh, coverage. We were supposed to get a new Wes Anderson movie two months ago, and I feel like everybody just forgot, and I was very excited for that movie. It looked great. The
1: French Dispatch is probably the the biggest casualty of 2020 so far.
0: I would agree. Movie-wise, for us. Well... Yeah, because I really want to see that. They've said nothing about it. I'm not hopeful. I feel like Wes Anderson is not nearly as much of a stickler as Nolan will. Maybe he could be convinced to let it go on streaming, but I really want to see that movie. Um, but I do. I'm also curious. Another tangent. Um, would you like to briefly discuss the Dune trailer? I would. <laughs> Just a quick background in this. Uh, David. Uh, Jacob is a big dune fan of the book in the lynch film i uh I recently loaned Chandler
1: my book, and I just started it, yeah, and when I say my book, it's interesting. I went to summer camp. i want to say it was twenty thirteen it 14? was twenty fourteen and twenty seventeen because he wrote in the big. Oh. <laughs> 2014 I was at summer camp and I literally lent it to like five other people at summer camp who all read it in the in the span of uh, of camp. So that and other times I have loaned out that book. So that copy has been read by a great many people. And it looks like it. It's it's a it, fairly it, worn it's book. It's
0: worn, but I like it because I before you lent it to me, I was looking at other copies of Dune and they all look nice, but they're a little bit bigger. Yeah. I don't know. This one just feels aged. It feels appropriate to the source material because it feels like I'm discovering like a tome of this book and the pages are nicely thin and the book is very bendable. I quite prefer it as opposed to any other copy that I've found so far.
1: Well, I'm glad you like it. And uh, how is the book so far? How far are you?
0: I am about 60 pages in. (laughs) It weirdly enough, it reminds me a lot of the prequels, the Star Wars prequels. And it should,
1: yeah. George but like, Lucas has mentioned his his inspiration before, and Dune is one of those. So,
0: is Dune an inspiration of the prequels and the uh, the original trilogy, or just the prequels? Well, the original trilogy, and okay. by extension, the prequels, because because this is. this is the version of the prequels that is interesting. Because I'm sixty pages in so far, and it's nothing but like. People talking, you know, Paul talks to the the witch mother, and then Paul talks to the weapons guy, and then Paul talks to his father, and then his father talks to his mother. But it's very interesting, and I read 60 pages in like a day. I wasn't able to read yesterday. Um, but I'm surprised how much I enjoy it because there's a lot of shit I hate. Um, uh, mainly sci-fi, the desert setting, and prophecy-based storytelling. Right, but this is this is one of the original.
1: Yeah. Uh, those. This is, which is, it's interesting that going back and and going through this whole podcast, there's a lot of movies we've seen. They're like, oh, this is the original of yeah this trope that's been done a, a thousand times. And sometimes it works, sometimes it still holds up, and sometimes it it doesn't just because it's been done to death. So it's interesting the the reaction whenever you do go back to those original source uh materials.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I don't know how much of this this movie is based. Or I don't know how much of the book the movie is based on, but I read about 60 pages and I can understand most of what I'm seeing in the trailer. Because he is
1: the, the new Dune is two movies. Is it? OK. Yeah, I believe they haven't shot the second one yet. So fingers crossed the first one is financially profitable. Do you think or else we're going to have yet another chapter in the. Failed Dune adaptation saga, which is a already a big book. But okay,
0: okay, the failed Dune adaptation. There, there's one thing. It it it'd be one thing if it was a a commercial failure. I don't think Denis Villeneuve is capable of making a critical failure. Maybe not as good as his other movies, but I j- I just don't think he is. I think he's confident enough and talented enough to at least make a good movie. The question is whether or not it will sell because I will say one thing. Yeah. I know that Dune fans are very excited and they love the trailer as somebody who is only 60 pages into it and watched the trailer. Um, it looks like a young adult book, like a young adult movie. Interesting. Like a maze runner divergent type thing. Does it? It does to somebody who's not very familiar with the source material material. And I guess some of those movies do well, huh. but those movies I've never seen Maze Runner or Divergent because the trailers were so boring to me. Well yeah, but I the this trailer wasn't boring to you, was it? And no, it was fine. Um It was fine. It, Interesting. It 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 was uh there <laughs> One thing that stuck out to me is that I don't know, I guess I always pictured Dune to be a lot sunnier. It's a very dark-looking movie. Like literally, grey skies, gray sand. Yes, and that's because a lot of the book, I I feel like the it's it's
1: there's a dichotomy here with the story, and that a lot of it is political intrigue taking place in shadowy places. Yeah, and literally, you're you're you haven't even gotten to the part where the part of the book is just underground for (laughs) for large sections of it. So it's it is a dark book with that takes place on a extremely sunny. Planet, because it's interesting that the 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 introduction the location the first location in the book is the planet kaladin and it is this watery kind of wet dark world yeah i like i I don't know i feel that i'm struggling also because i i look watch the trailer and i'm like oh it is yet another one of these dark hard to see yeah blockbusters and at the same time I'm like, well, if anyone can do that, there's there's nothing inherently wrong with that. aesthetic. No, it's no. just that it's been overdone where it isn't necessary. And if anyone can make it necessary and work it in the, the, the visuals and the aesthetic, work that in with the narrative. It's Denny and his cinematographer. So which is not Roger Deakins, but still doing good work. because yes. it does oh, look yeah. good. Even it does though look as dark.
0: Yeah, um, I'm also not super, uh, I've never been super blown away by Zendaya in anything.
1: It's funny because every time I watched a trailer reaction for, for Dune,
0: everyone's like, Zendaya, look, look, or Tim, or Timothy Chalamet. They're always pointed at him like, Tim, Timothy, I can get behind um, Zendaya. I don't know anything aside from the Star Wars, not Star Wars, Spider-Man movie she's in. I literally don't know what she's else. She's fine in that. I, 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 don't I, don't, I don't know what else she's famous for.
1: I have nothing to judge her for, so I'll I'll keep an open mind.
0: Music choice is interesting, Pink Floyd.
1: I like it. It grows on me every time I listen to it. Then again, I'm getting back into Pink Floyd again.
0: (laughs) How many times have you seen the trailer? Mm.
1: Without watching a a reaction of someone else watching it, probably ten times. Uh,
0: You're one of those people who watches the reaction videos.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit weird like that, where I just... No, I, I, I
0: watch... I do it too.
1: ...reactions, and most of the time I'm not even paying attention to people reacting to it. I'm watching the trailer. Oh, well
0: that, that's strange. And then every once
1: in a while I hear uh, um, I'm expecting a reaction from a certain part of the trailer, so I'll look at the people like... good
0: Like the sand. God, I react to that, and then I go back. Or the worm. The worm. The worm looks The scary. butthole. The sand butthole. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I watch those too, but mainly for video game stuff. I don't ever watch reaction trailers for movies. Uh, here's one thing I want you to elaborate on because I'm not quite there y- yeah. yet in the book, but I am getting. I was under the impression that the people of what's the desert planet called, Arrakis. Arrakis. The people of Arrakis wear suits that recycle their piss and shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that that's it. Yeah, <laughs> correct. Because, as, again, as an outsider to Dune, whose only visual representation of it has been the, um, the David Lynch movie, mm-hmm. where I always see those tubes in their nose, I was always curious as to what that was, but now that I know, it's even weirder to me. But, hey, you know, that's very dystopian, I'll give you that. Yeah, dystopian, but makes sense as well. Oh, it does,
1: it does. On a planet that, such, that has lacks so many resources recycling your your materials is strange but also uh probably a necessity a necessity
0: it just looks strange because it's just coming out of their nose but whatever
1: i'm i'm keeping a, a open mind here's an interesting thing a tangentially related thing mm-hmm. i rewatched uh the hobbit an unexpected journey last night yeah i saw that so dune was one, it is one of my favorite books, and The Hobbit is one of my favorite books. Has been for, for many, Even more many so years.
0: than Lord of the Rings?
1: Yeah, I like The Hobbit more. Wow. It's easier to read. That's but, fair. It's, and it's as considerably my, less long. When I was younger, and I didn't have the attention span for Lord of the Rings, I liked The Hobbit more. <laughs> and then there was a brief period of time where I had the attention span to read Lord of the Rings. I was like, this is great. And then slowly, my attention span has lessened Yeah. because I I, I get... For various reasons, but my, my current attention span likes to start a lot of books, but doesn't like to finish them. And so I'd The see. Hobbit is uh, it's perfect, nice and quick. Anyway, huge, huge fan of Lord of the Rings, the movies, huge fan of the books, all that. The Hobbit came out and I, I didn't want it to be another prequel situation yeah. where you, know, you watch it and then slowly you, you come to realize that it's not good. And, well, that, that's exactly the situation I find myself in. Oh, really? All these years later. Oh, no. It's interesting because I think, I think The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, might be the film I've seen the most in theaters. How many next times did to, you see it? Next to The Force Awakens. Oh, okay. Ew. Actually, 2049 also I watched quite a bit in theaters. So those I think are the top
0: three oh, I can think of. Oh, so w- real quick side note. Uh, what movie do you yeah. think I've seen the most in theaters? Lighthouse? No. That was only two. Oh. There's another movie from last year I saw four times in the theaters. Why can't I remember that? It's not Parasite, is it? Parasite. No. Parasite came close. I saw Parasite three times. Oh. It was uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. It was a good movie. Wouldn't have guessed it.
1: Anyway. <laughs> so, anyway, I watched the, uh, the Hobbit trilogy as it, came, as it came out, and I watched each movie progressively less. So, I, I watched... Unexpected Journey, quite a bit in theaters. I watched Desolation of Smaug Smog quite a bit. Smaug. Smaug. And then I watched the Battle of the Five. Ar- By the time the Battle of the Five Armies came out, I was starting to feel fatigued. Yeah. And so I haven't touched them since that. Uh, it has been six years, probably, since I have seen the films.
0: Yeah, somewhere around there.
1: And I returned to Unexpected Journey last night, expecting it to be good, because I remember it being the best of the bunch. Because it has character development and actual attention to to some of
0: it definitely does the
1: thematic weight of the story. It was a big fucking mess. <laughs> it's, it really kind of disappointed me, and I don't know what I'm going to do. But I it might turn out to be an essay, might turn out to be a video. I don't know, but I think I need to do something to express my opinion and okay. and to find closure on this topic. See, that's uh, so funny I'll watching I'll be watching the rest of the trilogy over the next couple days okay and then
0: but that's funny to me because i've um I hate the fucking prequels. I've always hated the fucking prequels and well, no, probably not always, but they are unwatchably bad, except for the third one and the hobbit there's a lot obviously a lot of comparisons to the prequels, but I again, I'm like you have only some the times in they were in theaters, although I think I did act no, that's not true. I watched them all twice once in the theaters. And then a few years ago, I was flying to France and I watched all three on the plane. <laughs> and I remember even back when I rewatched them on the plane that I didn't I was I remember thinking these aren't terrible. They're not great. And I quite liked the first one. The first one I did find to be genuinely enjoyable twice. And I think a huge part of that is uh I think the only scene in the entire trilogy that retains the original Lord of the Rings charm is the scene where you meet all the dwarves in Bilbo's house. Hmm. I think that is the only moment. That comes pretty early. Yeah, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Because I remember seeing that in the theaters and thinking, oh, this is just... Okay, they've struck gold again. And by the end, I thought, oh, that was different. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because this is a...
1: I had the Plinkett reviews to help guide me through the prequels and to Mm. kind of come to some sense of closure with that. And there have been some, I think I've watched all the video essays about the Hobbit trilogy on YouTube. And to some extent, a lot of them deal with the kind of the behind the scenes issues with the whole trilogy. And there's one I think that deals more with kind of the writing good stuff, but I didn't really have one specific like watershed moment of, ah, of realization and of, and probably I think that's related to the fact that I haven't seen them in so long. So all I was doing was watching these people critique the films without having my own, without being able to go back and have my own opinion on that. So that's what I'm doing. And I don't. Here's the thing with the Hobbit. To bring it back to the uh, to Dune, I freaking loved Unexpected Journey and Desolation of Smaug when they came out. Not like I didn't think they were great, yeah, yeah. but I loved them, yeah, and yeah. I still do. Like I'm, I'm gonna be very harsh on these films. I still like them. I still find them entertaining. I do too. But it it really kind of hammered home to me last night that I couldn't effectively judge. The film when it came out from any objective standpoint within my own subjective self if that makes sense yeah i get it like if there's a personal level of objectivity where you're trying to like get out of your own uh biases it wasn't possible until now i think or until many years later when i i could return to them and i hope i don't know but i hope dune is actually good (laughs) <laughs> because there's also the chance that Dune is just solid, me- solidly mediocre, and I think it's great. Yeah, because of how much I love Denis Villeneuve and the source material and all that. And then it's just a slow decline of me realizing that another adaptation is uh, not as great mm-hmm. as I want it to be. I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah, but I also don't think that Dune is another one of these things that I don't think I'll be able to judge. Objectively,
0: until much later, but we'll see. Hmm. So, I assume that you watched the Lindsay Ellis trilogy of videos on the hobbit. Those are my favorite, those are more about like the behind the scenes. Yeah, they are. Specifically, the third one goes into a lot of the New Zealand politics. (laughs) I feel so bad for Peter Jackson, the whole crew, everything. God, it was not optimal. Well, you have to, if you're going to watch the trilogy again, you also have to watch the behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. I never bought Battle of the Five Armies, but I have the extended versions of the uh, Desolation and Unexpected oh God, uh, there's extended versions. I'm pretty sure that there is a good edit out there of all three movies into one movie. I've seen it circulating. You know who does a lot of these edits is Topher Grace. Really? Topher Grace has made art what most people agree to be the only tolerable way to watch the prequels because he edited all three of them into one movie. Huh. Yeah. The
1: more, you know, Topher that, Grace. I might actually have to take a look
0: at that. I would, I would watch it. I trust Topher.
1: Uh, well, that's, that's what I've been doing. The Hobbit was probably the only thing of note that I've watched recently.
0: Uh, I'm going to say the only thing I, of note that I've watched recently. Well, two things, but one of them we're going to have a discussion about. So I'm just going to mention this one real quick. I rewatched for the first time in three years, Lady Bird. Ah, and it's amazing. It's one of those movies that when I saw it for the first time, I watched and I thought, I think this is a perfect movie, but I'm not going. I'm just going to, you know, be safe and give it the four and a half star. And I upgrade it to a five because it's just great. But as we've discussed here on this podcast before, I'm a huge fan of end of high school movies. And I think this is one of the best.
1: I also watched another end of high school film. Oh, which one? Uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Oh yeah.
0: You did watch Bill and Ted. The first one.
1: That was a lot of fun. I, I love, I loved it a lot.
0: It was great. <laughs>
1: like, I don't
0: know what else to say. Have like, you, it's not um, any kind of masterpiece, but it's,
1: it was yeah. fun. I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it.
0: Uh, did you ever watch as a, as a youth? Did you ever watch Wayne's world? No, because
1: Wayne's as world a was youth, that I was very much out of the culture. Ah, okay of the early 2000s and
0: well way wayne's I'm world right. is like ninety, nineteen ninety, ninety one. 1990
1: 91 Nin- yeah 90s and early 2000s yeah. i just i didn't wayne's have world much contact with that culture
0: wayne's world i watched religiously and the only reason i didn't watch bill and ted as a as a younger person was that i'm like this is just wayne's world and i love what wayne's world's genuinely hilarious but I've been more and more. The more and more coverage I see about Bill and Ted due to this new movie, the more I'm like, OK, I think I'd like this. So maybe I'll get it was to fun. it soon. It's good.
1: It, it's nice being able to watch a film that you're like, this isn't like a masterpiece. It's just solid fun. Yeah. And we don't get a lot of those these days <laughs> from new movies. So it's nice to go back and watch something that is like this is just schlocky fun. <laughs> and uh, I can enjoy it without having to worry too much about thinking.
0: Oh, there you go. And the other movie I watched, which I guess is our first discussion, is the new Charlie Kaufman movie. I'm thinking of ending. What a great title. It really got that out of the way. It, it is a great title. I just want to get this out of the way first. Uh, I feel like me and you have maybe slightly differing opinions on Charlie Kaufman. Um, mm. For some reason, when I I, I think he's a genius I'm not super into all of his movies. I think the only ones that I, the only one I consider a masterpiece is Synecdoche, New York. I love that movie, right? And I have a
1: very different opinion where I yes. think Synecdoche is just kind of intellectual overload <laughs> and it's not particularly well thought out in that
0: in that uh, yes and respect. Well, that,
1: that, I do like the
0: rest of his filmography. Then. Well, that's how I feel about a lot of the rest of his filmography because I feel like, and I'm also just gonna say, as somebody who just finished his book as well. Uh, which I recommend his book, but every, any if one of the main issues that a lot of people have with Charlie Kaufman is that he is overly intellectual, where he needs somebody to sort of ground his ideas, which a lot of his most respected works, I think, aside from Synecdoche, like Eternal Sunshine is one of everyone's favorite movies, being John Malkovich adaptation, whatever. Uh, Those movies are by directors who knew when to say, hey, Charlie, let's not go all the way out there. Let's stop right around here. Uh, His book is there's no breaks. It is 700 pages long. (laughs) I'm just going to give a I'm just going to give you the quick review because it's about a film critic who stumbles upon a three month long movie Uh, goes to bring it back to New York where he works, accidentally sets it on fire at a fast food restaurant in Georgia, hires a hypnotist to help him remember all three months of the movie. (laughs) And then it ends with a total apocalyptic war between a a robot army of Donald Trump androids fighting against the very fast food establishment that accidentally burned his movie in the first place. It I recommend it because it is batshit insane, but it's for a 700 page book. It's very entertaining and it's a very quick read. And you especially would enjoy it because there is constant inserts that are just jabs at other filmmakers. He talks shit about Godard Cassavetes. Mm. There's a, f- there's a hilarious dig at Mark Kermode in there. <laughs> oh, have you... I watched Mark Kermode's review
1: of this film. I did. Was, <laughs> apparently there's some beef between the two of them.
0: There isn't... Okay, so the beef originated when Charlie Kaufman and the director of Anomalisa, because they co-directed it, went to on Kermode's show, and you could tell that they are just not getting along because Mark Kermode really loves the movie um, Inside Out, and Charlie Kaufman in this interview is visibly upset that... Inside Out is getting all this praise because this is the same year that Anomalisa is coming out and he already knows months ahead of time, he's going to lose the Oscar to Inside Out. So it's a very funny interview because they're taking jabs at each other the whole time. But then later in the book, um, basically the the little one-off line is that the, the critic, the protagonist of the book is referring to an essay that Mark Kermode wrote about a movie that he, also saw, and he said, the, the review, I think, is called My Name's Mark Kermode and I'm an Asshole, but I don't know because he's got many essays that are kind of like that. It's it's funny, Mark Kermode tweeted about it, and that's why, in the beginning of the review that he did for this movie, it's funny because he, he starts off by saying, I understand he's a genius. <laughs> but yes, great book, I recommend it. It's fucking out there, it's bizarre, it's too long, but I loved every page of it. It's not often that I read a 700 page book in a month. Um, You know, if if we
1: if I end up coming up to Phoenix in October Mm. for a potential camping trip, I'll uh, I'll pick up the book.
0: I have it if you want to borrow it. it. Yes, it's funny. I'll read it. I'm curious. So, yeah, Kaufman. He's great. He's smart. My favorite. I love Synecdoche, New York. I love Eternal Sunshine. Those are the big ones. Everything else. The only movie that I'm kind of iffy on is Anomalisa. Which I used to be a big fan of, but as I grow older, I kind of like it less and less. Hmm. But I do respect him because he is truly one of a kind. Yes. And this movie, the new movie, um, I actually did. I read the book a week before um, because I, this movie is interesting to me because I watched the discourse around this movie happen live, really, because I watched it the night it came out. I'd read the book a week before, so I had enough time to like digest what the book was about. Then I saw the movie and I immediately understood most of it. Where I'm like, okay, I know what this is about. I know whatever. And then I I watched everybody around me who was watching the movie because all the reviews that came in first were like Kaufman's gone overboard. This is too much even for him. And then a few days later, those same people were like, I watched it a second time. I understand it. It's a masterpiece. I don't think it's quite a masterpiece but I do really, really like it. I feel like you've... What's the, what's the
1: expression I'm looking for here? You've jumped the shark, or you have... You've sabotaged my critical analysis of this film. <laughs> because I'm about to say that I think this film is overly intellectualized. <laughs> and I'll say that I mostly understood it. Yeah, also, especially
0: because I looked up some summaries after I finished it. I am not bragging in any way that I understood it on the first round. I'm just saying I read the book, the book, the movie makes certain things very, very ambiguous that the book makes very, very clear in the end. Right. That's the of that I got. Yes. You know? So I'm not flexing on the people who didn't get no, it the first time. Yeah, I know.
1: Because I the thing is, is that I've set myself up for failure here (laughs) because I constantly say on the show that I often return to films and I like them more. Yeah. So I feel like by saying that, I don't know, like, I feel like I need to watch this this movie again. And I'm going to say this about the film that we're going to talk about later, too. But interesting. Okay. the the thing is, is that I wasn't really emotionally invested in what was happening in the final act of the film. Yes. I didn't care. Uh, yeah and not like i i sensed that there was some real interesting if any director is like sigmund freud uh charlie kaufman is the sigmund freud of directors he is and it felt like it was all connected in kind of this weird psychoanalytical way and i liked it but at the same time it felt like it was asking so much on a intellectual level mm-hmm. while not engaging me whatsoever on an emotional level. And I just kind of gave up on caring about any of the characters after I had figured out, oh, okay, we're doing this now. We're going down the rabbit hole. Why? Which I know why now. And then now it's just, okay. Yeah. No, I guess that is the rest
0: of the film. I, I, I enjoyed the film mm -hmm. overall though. Yeah, um, I do agree there. I think that's why this isn't exactly a masterpiece for me, is that it's it's a very odd... I, I feel like we should at least briefly discuss the movies about... It's essentially sure. just about boyfriend and girlfriend told from the point of view of the girlfriend going to meet her boyfriend's parents. It gets weird from there. <laughs> really weird. She's not too into the relationship. No, she's thinking of ending things. She makes that very clear. Um, But yeah, it, it's... It, it's hard to talk about this movie without going into a spoiler filled in analysis of it. But I will say this as talking about surface level observations, as someone who read the book, the first 20 or 30 minutes of the movie, I found to be especially like eye rolling because there are a million ways you can adapt a book, but taking so much of the dialogue and using it as voiceover is just about the laziest way to do it. Hmm. I kind of found that very engaging sometimes
1: It it, it is
0: i think the the first 20 minutes or so it really relies on that voiceover to set up a lot of the context but th- the thing is the voiceover and the observations are so it's kind of like goodfellas where goodfellas is one of the few times i forgive voiceover because the voiceover contrasts what's happening so well that it, it the voiceover is used as a device to to do more than just tell you what you're already seeing. This is similar in that you there is a very clear struggle between wanting to stay and wanting to leave that I don't necessarily think is mirrored so much in what we're actually seeing, but the language is very interesting and it's a very this is where I start to agree with you in that it's overly intellectual, but I also think that intellectualism is is integral to the revelations that come later, which I'm tiptoeing around for now. But I do think overall, those first 20 minutes are a little slow, a little annoying. But once it really picks up once they arrive at the house,
1: there's so many interesting things like little connections and stuff in this film references. And I get what you're I feel like I got a taste of Charlie Kaufman's book in This film, yes, because there's a whole conversation about a woman under the influence. There is, which becomes an important part of the dialogue at some point, yes, to understand the film. Specifically,
0: Pauline Kale's essay on a woman under the influence, which apparently is a big deal. I've never seen the movie, so I don't know. Maybe we should just skip ahead and watch that one next week. (laughs) I
1: would not be against it, I wouldn't be against either. I've been wanting to watch it, but yeah, go ahead, okay. So there's stuff like that where there's there's a lot of references to art and culture outside of the, the this work. And they talk about poetry and artists and different things. There's also I, I got the sense that this is taking place in a parallel universe to Fargo <laughs> because half of the actors are from Fargo. Including the, show. Yeah, the main the show. actress. What's her name? Jesse
0: Buckley. She's in the new season. She's in the new season, yeah. which we haven't seen yet.
1: Yeah. Which- coming out soon hopefully
0: Hopefully. yeah it is no it
1: is september yeah 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 so i got i
0: got heavy fargo vibes from this entire film (laughs) oh quick quick micro observation so jesse buckley who is in the new season of fargo and we have only seen her through one trailer um her accent in that is very similar to her accent in this movie which at first I'm like, okay, they're both, you know, they take place in a vaguely Midwestern town. But then I, I come to learn that she's Irish. Jessie Buckley is a very Irish woman. If you hear her in interviews, she has a thick Irish brogue. So part of me is thinking, okay, is, it, is she doing this accent because this is also takes place in the Midwest or because she perfected this accent for this American show and she's like, well, I'm not going to learn second fucking American accent. Oh, you do this one.
1: A likely story. (laughs) Could be both, but go ahead. The only other thing I know her from is Chernobyl.
0: Oh, yeah. She's the wife of... She's the idiot. Yeah, she's the moron. (laughs) She is a a moron in that. Yes. She plays a really great moron. A sympathetic moron.
1: (laughs) Yes. Just wants to touch her radioactive husband.
0: (laughs) Kills her baby. Spoiler alert. Uh, Well. (laughs) Well, you know. I'm not, I'm have been 40 years, years i ago. think
1: history spoiled chernobyl for us
0: <laughs> spoiler alert doesn't go well uh so should still be- spoiler alert still isn't going well But <laughs> should, should we just jump straight into like the, the more spoiler stuff or is there you want to keep yeah. it a little more okay so i want to hear your interest
1: inf- well here before we s- say spoilers officially I was talking with one of my uh, colleagues at work today who's a big horror movie fan and heard this was kind of a horror-esque film. Yes. And it's interesting because I, I think this is like, it's in the vein of Midsomar in is. a way. Uh, a little let- differently though. If Mid- Midsomar has a bit more kind of actual horror to it, mm-hmm. uh, a bit more violence to it, this is, none of it is typical horror. Mm-hmm. It is all psychological completely. It's just the almost existential dread of the situations yeah that they're in uh not that there's anything necessarily inherently scary about what's happening to the characters and at least on that level on the level of um following our main character uh this girl and going through these strange places and meeting these strange people that really hooked onto me and i felt like it, it was a very interesting approach at essentially a breakup film is what it is, is for the majority of its runtime. It is. Um, and I do, if that sounds interesting to
0: you, I recommend it. If it doesn't, I'm not sure I can recommend this film. Well, okay. Here's the thing is that um, Kaufman is very interested in this, in, in mortality. Um, I feel like it's something that he's explored in a lot of his movies. And specifically, oh, yeah. snake in New York is one of my favorite horror movies, because unlike other horror movies that, scare you with these hypothetical situations be it slashers monsters whatever Uh, synecdoche new york is so terrifying because it's universal it's this horrifying look at the very real process that we're all going to die one day and this movie approaches similar fears in a in a much more well i don't want to say a much more uh metaphorical way because synecdoche new york's pretty fucking metaphorical um, yeah. but yes I do agree It's it, this is not a visceral fear like a, a fight or flight type fear it is it is a fear that it plants in the back of your mind and over the next few days it grows and grows and those parts I think are my favorite specifically in the movie where the parents start aging out of nowhere mm-hmm. which is the scariest part to me specifically when David Thewlis has his um, dementia and tony collette's on her deathbed <laughs> yeah
1: yeah sorry i was just curious the the film drawing more connections to fargo it feels like fargo like cinematography wise yeah so i was curious as who the cinematographer was and it's the same guy who shot the pavel pavlovsky films uh cold war and ida oh interesting oh, good guy Two films that I've I've declared as the best black and white cinematography of the 2010s in my best cinematography article. Yeah, but that, it's not bad. Hasn't done much else, but that's uh, interesting. OK, continue. well, they Thousand definitely know 10. how to
0: capture cold.
1: Yes, I was cold, it was very cold.
0: cold. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just curious to hear what your interpretation is, because honestly, I don't believe there there's a very small amount of people that I honestly think understood what this movie is about with no reading be that you like i understood it mostly because i read the book but i feel like everybody who understands this movie is somebody who has read up on it afterwards i don't think there's anyone that watched this without any sort of prior knowledge before or after the movie and went oh okay i get it it's it's that it's one of those part of me wants to hate this movie
1: (laughs) simply because it's ending and it, yeah, okay. The sense that I got, and I think you can get this sense. I don't know if this is correct. I think it is. Is that they, they are both the janitor. Both of them, like the, like they're the same, like they're all the same person. Okay, together, and the janitor is somehow an expression of, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, and I get the sense that it's all just. None of it happened. No, you're. And that really frustrates me. On like, OK, Charlie, why would you give me a giant middle finger at the end of the film? OK, please explain.
0: OK, because again, it's one of those things that I feel every single time that I, I, I tell somebody because I'll, I know a lot of people who watch this movie. When, while I was watching it, I had a feeling of what it was uh, about, yeah. but not necessarily any kind of
1: concrete intellectualization yes. of what it was about. But
0: the thing is, I know a bunch of people who watch this movie and I get the same reaction every time where they're like, it was nonsense. And I always hate being that person to be like, actually I think it's this. I just want to so reiterate I don't think
1: it's nonsense. Yeah. It doesn't give me the vibe that's nonsense. It just gives me the vibe of Charlie Kaufman has hidden that his answers so deeply. The movie is hidden in a movie. This is this is coming from someone who made a <laughs> capstone short film who readily admits is dense and just uh, nonsense. It becomes,
0: it's the answers are there, but they're so not there. Okay. That it's so I, I'm going to give you my interpretation from somebody who has okay. read the book and watched the movie. Please. So the entire movie is a fantasy that comes from the janitor. Jake is the janitor. J ja- the janitor yes. slash Jake Jesse is not the janitor. Jesse Buckley is not the janitor. Jesse no, okay. Buckley. Uh,
1: let, let me rephrase that. Okay. Like, yes, I agree. That's what I was trying to say. I was just saying it in a different way. Yes. In that Jesse is a projection of.
0: Yes. The janitor Jesse is a projection so of. The in janitor. a way, the same person. Kind of yes, because she's a completely made up. Person in the janitor's mind, although Jake is a real person. Jake is the janitor, and the Jake you see in the movie is the janitor as a younger person. That's how he remembers himself. Right. That's what he looked like. Jake is a real person just in the past. This whole movie is a movie where it is just one giant fantasy where he wants to live in this fantasy world of hope, but the realities of his life keep creeping in to a point where he can't deny the reality of his situation. So obviously the janitor is old. He is fat. He is at the end of his life. He that's why this whole movie takes place during this romantic little meet cute type scenario. He has invented this scenario in his head where this is how he met the girl. And even in this scenario, he is not able to talk to this girl. She talks to him Mm -hmm. because he even can't admit he would not be the person to come up. And everyone, every introvert's dream is to have some beautiful girl go up and talk to him in the way that she does. And this fantasy is also influenced by, as we see, he's a huge fan of movies and watches rom-coms. I will say this, of the few movies I've seen this year, nothing made me laugh harder than directed by Robert Zemeckis. (laughs) (laughs) It just cuts to a movie. Yeah! (laughs) which is reflected in the fact that this woman has no name or is given multiple names. And one of the names she adopts is the literally the woman in the Zemeckis movie that he's watching. So this woman is this perfect fantasy projection of a woman that he wants to meet. But as they said in the in the movie, that hope is something that is invented. And hope, he doesn't have much hope left because even he can't deny his... Status in life at this point, because, of course, when you're young, you hold on to this hope that, oh, I'll meet a woman in a bar, mute cute scenario, bring back to the parents. But even he can't avoid the fact that, OK, I'm like 60 something. If I were to have this fantasy, there would be some negotiations. So when he brings the woman back to meet his parents, this is where the reality starts creeping in, because I honestly think that this Jake janitor person is somebody who has was severely affected by his weird parents. I think his weird they parents, are weird. they are weird. And I think they are, as much as he can fantasize about them, they are really reflections of who they are. They're weird people with these weird social tics that they have given him. So that's why even in his fantasy, he's very like. With his parents, he's very uh, creeped out by them. So I think this is a man who his parents have fucked him up to such a degree that he can't even talk to people. So he brings this fantasy woman back and the parents. He can't deny that the parents are the way that they were. And even in this fantasy, they would be weird and creeper out. And I also think that there is a there is some sort of reality behind what happened. Uh, There is a girl that he sees at this ice cream place, this young weird girl who has a a sort of sassiness to her that is reminiscent of Jesse. I think that what happens later in the movie with the ballet and the, the dramatization of this event, I think that there is a real event in which the janitor got involved romantically with a weird student. She found a boyfriend and he and she ended it with him. That's why this thought of I'm thinking of ending things creeps into the fantasy girl, because he knows even in his most ridiculous fantasy, the woman would probably not want him because that is the reality of what he's faced and that he can't help but think of it. Um, The ending in particular, I do agree. The the ending goes a little too far, but I think we're in different opinions because I love. Okay. Here's the thing. Okay. The, the the ending
1: I'm going to like I, I say this as a criticism yeah but it is not so much a pure criticism as it is something I do not prefer yeah that it's not bad filmmaking yes it is just a kind of filmmaking that on at least on a first viewing I did didn't appreciate and didn't feel like a a proper. Emotionally fulfilling ending to the film, and on an intellectual level, it does seem like that kind of closure is possible, which is why I think in the in future viewings, I I still might not like it because <laughs> you spend the whole film with this girl, and then she's just imaginary, yes, which is very frustrating.
0: That that part I do admit is frustrating because it would be one thing if this was told from the POV of Jake. And then this girl started to sort of fall apart. But the fact, th- the, the fact that this whole movie comes from the point of view of the girl is confusing to me. Because this girl is given this ridiculous amount of sentience that I don't think necessarily is explained by the fantasy element of it all.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a sleight of hand. Yeah. Because like we are following the girl, which obscures the fact that it is in the mind of a man. Yes, it does. That's that's probably the biggest leap you have to get over. Yeah. In order and
0: that's to, not like, one that I'm completely together. gotten over um, because I do think there are some interesting things he does. Like, obviously, this guy is a big film fan. You can even see he's got a Pauline Kael book in his. um, uh, In his bedroom, he's a big film fan. Um, and, you know, in the beginning, I thought, OK, this is just. Overly intellectual. No two people are this intellectual. But then when you realize that she's sort of this romanticized projection of the perfect girl, okay, of course he would want her to be just as intellectual. Of course he would want her to fucking recite a random poem that she wrote in the middle of a car ride. Um, but at the ending, so I, I I'm curious because there are two scenes at the end that I feel like a lot of people have issues with, and for me, I it's the ballet scene because that is where I'm like, get a hold of yourself, Charlie. I enjoy the end scene with the recital in the awards ceremony, but the ballet scene is the first time in the movie where I'm like, really? Must we? <laughs> <laughs> Must we? Uh, I think I was the opposite.
1: I was still engaged with the ballet, but slowly losing it. And by the time we got to the awards scene, I was just like, okay. I will admit that there Goodbye.
0: there is just, there's too much shit at the ending. Some people when they get to the high school, that's where they get interested. It's it's like they throw three yes, three tests of your patience in a row because you have the ballet scene, you have him naked in the truck with the pig, <laughs> and then you have the award ceremony. And those first two, I'm just like, "Oh my god." But the award ceremony I did find captivating. Not for the musical number. I think you could also call this uh, an alternate title for this film. You could call it
1: Naked. <laughs> Because I I do like the symbolism of of essentially our main character stripping down. Yeah. And I mean, the obvious connotation there is that the, the film is kind of going into his psyche. And I feel like that's something that Charlie Kaufman does often in his film mm-hmm. films, a, a visual representation of a character being unveiled yeah. in some way. In this case a literal unveiling of clothing. Well, yeah, but and the- a pig. I don't know what
0: the pig's. Well, the pig was there earlier in the movie with the, you know, they're talking about the pigs in the barn. with That part, I'm not too sure. Charlie and I are on the same wavelength. (laughs) I think we've we've read
1: the same philosophy on some of this stuff, on dreams. Yeah. And (laughs) I see a lot of, I see a lot of what I was attempting to get at, or at least explore with my capstone. And uh, Charlie Coffin has done it so much better, obviously. But, um... (laughs) Clearly,
0: <laughs> the duality but still I, I,
1: I, Yes. Oh, that's right. We have the same last name. I always forget this. <laughs> so I, I see it. I identify
0: it and I don't like it. No, I, I agree to an extent. Like this ending scene. I just want to give my quick theory because it's it's very strange in that it's an award ceremony where everybody is in old age makeup. My interpretation of that is he's still holding on to the hope that his entire life will be have meaning, that it'll be rewarded, that somebody will see all the good that he's done and be like, hey, Mr. Janitor Jake, here's an award. But in that moment, he knows in that moment he won't be a young man anymore. But he also doesn't want to see himself as the fat, disgusting, giant man that he is. So he sort of gives himself a mental compromise in which he is simultaneously his young, good-looking self, but also has the, the hints of old age that he can't deny that are there. So it becomes in the form of young man with old age makeup. I think that's interesting. I don't care for the musical he does, <laughs> the musical number he does at the end, but I find the idea of this, this, this last bastion of hope in a hopeless life to be interesting and sad. And then Fat Damon starts singing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's, that's my interpretation of it. Um, but it's one of those things like we discussed so many episodes ago with last year at Marion bad, where it is a mystery. It's up to you on whether or not you find it interesting to solve. For me, this is an, a mystery I found interesting enough to solve. And I can see why people would not feel interested because if you were not even closely interested in the same things that these characters were, I, I know my brother watched it. Yeah. And he, you know, all the things that he's referencing, he doesn't care about the musical theater, the film, the cast of so he's like, what, why am I still watching? I don't care about these people. And I understand that to an extent. I'm a huge fan of film. I love Casavetti, So these things I found interesting. But I could see why people would not like it. And I don't blame them at all for not. Which is most of Kaufman's movies.
1: I'm reminded of a great film here. A great <laughs> film. It's one of the top ten films ever made. It's a little film called Otto e Mezzo in Italian or Eight and a Half. Oh, no
0: yeah (laughs) no you're right there's there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities
1: but there's a really great quote in there Uh, so one of the characters in that film is a film critic yeah who talks who says to the director in the film that it's preposterous for you to not make a film for your audience or to treat your audience see i'm trying to find the quote itself but it's it's about how sometimes directors can get too and Inside of themselves. Yeah. Too esoteric for their own good. And I think Charlie Coffin has strayed a bit into that. He's been. Not that I don't enjoy it. Because the fact that... Because that stuff is all stuff that I like, (laughs) too. This This is the good part of the film. I like... I really like the whole... Most of the film. It's just this weird... I was just watching it and I was like, how long is he going to sustain these conversations for? And I wasn't, it was just like almost a game at some point. Yeah. Like how, like the, the minutia of like, where's the conversation going to go? What are the twists? What are the turns? When are they going to fucking leave the house? When are they going to get downstairs? And like the smallest things became bits of uh, intrigue and the conversations kind of filled the space in between that but i think you have to say that at some point this is not a film for the masses no <laughs> this is no. not a film that most people would appreciate or like no i think on some level if you are trying to get someone to watch a film yeah because they'd like it not because you just want them to watch it and boost netflix's numbers how would you, this is a rhetorical question no need to answer it how would you write a film description that both spoils the intellectualization of the ending without actually spoiling it with, with like somehow you need to communicate. This is what the film is like. Yeah. And if it interests you, then this is a film for you. It's just, it has a very niche demographic and, and it, it's a good film for those people who find it interesting. And six years ago, I think I would have found this intolerably boring,
0: but that's the thing. I put that in my letterbox review where I'm like, there was a point in time where people saw the name charlie kaufman they're like oh they didn't flock the same way they do to nolan or tarantino but there's a point in time where the name charlie kaufman meant oh this is going to be heady i'm in that's the john malkovich adaptation days where you're like okay this will be understandable but it'll be a trip it'll be out there the more and more kaufman got into his career the more and more at one, he's alienating the masses who would have given movies like John being John Malkovich adaptation of chance, but he's appealing more and more to the people who are diehard fans when with, I feel like with each and every movie that comes out, he is alienating those people more. And he, his devout fan base is getting even more devout because there mm-hmm. are Kaufman fanatics out there <laughs> more so than most other movies. And those people will spend hours and hours, dissecting every frame of those videos or those movies. I feel like there's going to be a point where, and I almost feel like Charlie Kaufman is making movies that are consistently upping the challenge for those people because he is sort of in the same ballpark as filmmakers like Hodorowski and Lynch, where they make movies that are very much reflections of their own psyche Whereas Lynch and Hodarowski make movies. It's, they just spit out their psyches into a film form. They say, you figure out what this means. Because I don't really know. Whereas Kaufman makes similar movies where he's like, I know exactly what this means. I want you to figure it out. And some people are intimidated by that. And he keeps upping the ante. I
1: appreciate the other version of this. <laughs> the, the mystery of I'm thinking of ending things seems very concrete. This is a film that I finished it and I feel like there is an answer to this movie. Yes. One answer, not multiple, not your own interpretation. There isn't an answer to this film. And I think I just in generally, in general, appreciate films that are more open-ended, that have your own interpretation and aren't meant to be solved in any particular way. Yeah. Or like The Return. But this is, this is kind of, yeah, this is kind of a ongoing development in my own appreciation of film it's interesting because i think muholland drive has one particular the reality of the film is is very singular but it's a bit more ambiguous than this there's other films like uh last year at marion bad that I, I don't know <laughs> i'm curious uh, there's a few more films on this list that i think are going to be kind of on the bfi list not this list there's no list <laughs> i'm thinking of ending things it's not on any list other than my favorite films of 2020, it, which has yet to reach 10 films. I, I,
0: Which, by the way, you know whose list is not on? Mark Kermode's. <laughs>
1: oh, well, I, I largely agree with Mark Kermode in this. Uh, I, I do, in too. In the respective. Kind of. Charlie Kaufman. I,
0: I will say that Kermode review, I do enjoy. I never see Simon Mayo talk as much as he did about this movie. <laughs> I thought it was funny.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just wanted maybe just a little bit of closure from Jesse Buckley's character, like some sort of ending for her I agree as an individual. Yeah, that's that's really what is preventing me from from really because
0: she just disappears.
1: Yeah. Which feels like, OK, well, why did I watch all that the rest of that? I get I get that there's an answer to this. No, I but agree. That answer isn't satisfying
0: because it, it's it's almost like intentionally misleading to the point where it's not clever it's just you you constructed it in a way where you intentionally wanted them to think something else pulled the rug out from under them without any real indication but everything else is so great that that's a minor problem but unlike other movies that are sort of these big puzzle boxes, I feel like I got everything I needed out of this movie. So I don't plan on watching it again anytime soon. I, I might rewatch this soon. I yearn for that experience that other people had. Because again, reading the book really helped. The book is great. I do recommend the book. The book takes it... Maybe you'd like the book more because the ending to the book is more of a psychological slasher than this weird cerebral explosion that the movie is. David Thulis. David great Douglas. actor
1: wonderfully weird correctly cast <laughs> that house that's like every person's nightmare of going to going home to visit their significant others parents what the hell uh, that was just a, a treasure box of strange
0: that part yeah that, again that part's my favorite part mm-hmm. in the whole movie that section as mu- as much as I love watching two people talk about John Cassavetes movies well, there's some really interesting editing stuff in that scene. Yeah, where she's going
1: down the stairs multiple times and voiceover during the dinner scene. The the mother, played by Toni Collette, another great performance. She's just very like dismissive of her as an artist and all that. And it was just really interesting dynamic character dynamics there that
0: made the film for me. Now, here, here's one thing that I I want to I want to pose this question because I want you to tell me whether or not you think this is an oversight or an intention. Um, So obviously the boyfriend and the girlfriend, Jake and the girl, they're similar. I think that Jake created this woman to vaguely resemble him because obviously she's a reflection of his own desires, his own mind. So obviously she would look like him. I do find it interesting. They're both redheads. They're both redheads. I both think they look kind of similar and they're both named Jesse. In a way. And they're both named Jesse. No, this is
1: entirely intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie Kaufman went out of his way to find two Jesse's or two actors of the same name. Yeah. And he and he happened upon Jesse Plemons and Jesse Buckley, because I don't think they would be the first choice. You don't think? No, nothing against them as actors. They're just they're not as prominent, even among
0: art house. I think Jesse Plemons is there. Jesse Plemons has been a lot of stuff. He's there, but he's kind of more of a mainstream. He's in the master. You know what? He's in a weird limbo
1: between film and television. That's what, That's the, yeah. the middle ground that he's in. Because I know him primarily from Breaking Bad and in Fargo. Interesting. I like. I don't think that. I think he stumbled on one of them first, and then maybe found the other one as a result. But I do think it's intention, entirely
0: intentional. Entirely, I think so too. And that's a lucky coincidence because I think they're both. I picked up actors. on that about halfway through the film. Like, wait, these two actors good movie uh shall we jump on to the next one
1: <laughs> just reading a uh a letterbox review first line too dumb to understand this <laughs> <laughs>